April is jazz month. Uh, didn't know jazz had a whole month. Jazz had a couple of decades all to itself, though. That's really uh, the important part of it. And because jazz is jazz is special, we always joke here when we do 80s nights that we need more saxophone in rock and roll like we had in the 80s, um, that I thought it would be a great opportunity. New Music Monday. Now, this is probably not new music, but it might be new to you music, which is all right, too. Uh, to talk a little bit about jazz. So this is where we're starting our conversation about jazz. I'll tell you very quickly, my love affair uh, for jazz, I play the saxophone and I uh, didn't play it really beyond high school though, junior high, high school, a lot of stuff. And I absolutely loved it when I did it. I love jazz band. I mean, it's one of those things that I'm okay in my life, leaving it behind. I would love to make music again, but it's not not yet, not yet in my life. And and that happens. That's part of the magical things. Alan Matheson is a Vancouver-based pianist, trumpeter, composer, and arranger, lover of all things jazz, and um, joins us now. Hey, Alan. Hey, how are you today? I'm good. I appreciate you uh, uh, being here. Um, jazz is special. Um, now, we can talk about the eras of jazz. Why is jazz? Jazz is different. Why is jazz different? Well, I think jazz is a way of playing music. Um, you know, Cannonball Adderley famously used to say that it's it's not a it's not just a style of music; it's a way of approaching music. And the thing that jazz brought to North American music was this individual interpretation of music that had been around already, or music that's newly composed. Both of those things, and that to me is what makes it special. And the other special thing about jazz is the rhythmic sophistication it has. It brought us the concept of swing, and uh, that was something really new to, certainly to North American pop music. We wouldn't really have most of what we know as, you know, rhythm and blues or rock and roll or even hip-hop and rap without jazz. Uh, yeah, well, the hip-hop thing is a big one. Um, there's no doubt about that. Now, let's go back in time. There's something about jazz from the 40s um, that is, gives me this warm fuzzy. I don't know if it was a previous life mystical thing in my head or what it is, but there's something about it. Um, you know, we had jazz start had some twenties, you know, we got some flappers, we got all that stuff. Uh, let's go back in time, Alan. Um, let's learn because you do teach, um, you know, all about jazz to musicians and non-musicians. Let's go back to the very, very beginning. Well, I think jazz was a way of playing that grew out of ragtime, and ragtime was really the first important way that African-American musicians made their dent on American pop music. But um, ragtime is a very sort of strict kind of style in a lot of ways, but it uses rhythmic syncopation like African music did and early jazz did. But early jazz and all jazz really was a reinterpretation of music that was already there. And in New Orleans, places like that, they would reinterpret folk songs, French marching band songs, American marching band songs, uh, new tunes that they made up, the blues, everything. So everything was grist for the mill. And this is still true now with jazz musicians. You'll find younger jazz musicians doing their own thing on, on music from today and from very far back in time. That was Jazz then was celebration-based for the most part. Um, you know, that was an era of post-World War II uh, excuse me, post-World War I, uh, depression stuff was starting to kick in. So the celebration of using the music as a tool 
to energize and all that stuff. That was blatantly obvious when you talk about, you know, the marching songs and all that stuff. I think of when the saints go marching in and how all those sort mm-hmm. that sort of style became this very boisterous, like, wow, here's all the music at you sort of thing that happened That's in right. jazz. But then it That's started right. to get emotive as, as times changed. It started to become that mm-hmm. sexy, that relationship, that love affair thing. And it started to shift. Well, I think one of the reasons you probably feel warm and fuzzy about 40s jazz is in the 20s, 30s, and 40s jazz was dance music, and so it was a, a very public art form. So it left room for people to dance to it, but also for people in the band to play improvised solos. And, of course, with the big swing bands, it was a great way to sell jazz. And after the Second World War, it, that's when the real change happened, when jazz became more of a listener's art form. And the the loss of it becoming not a dance music so much anymore became the listener's benefit and the musician's benefit in some ways that was more room for what you're talking about like different types of expression that probably wouldn't have worked in a big large dance hall like the commodore ballroom here in vancouver places like that you're playing in a small jazz club you can play with greater degree of intimacy yeah well yeah you get that sort of feeling and the the clubs change too right the clubs um were these romantic uh sit down candlelit tables where you sort of see in the movies today I was just watching Ted Lasso and um mm-hmm. and they had um was it it was in Netherlands there was a pub there that they went to that was a jazz club and it was exactly that it was like that that rose candle small table bistro sized table with a really cluttered low ceiling um jazz band playing like a bass guitar could barely um or the yeah the bass could barely barely stand up right like it was so low in the ceiling that sort of vibe was a thing that's right and that was really common after the especially after the second world war but as you're saying too in the 20s it was also true but you know because public dancing was so popular in the 20s and 30s and 40s that um the big bands dominated that but after the that era shifted smaller jazz clubs pop up and smaller groups to go with it and as you know as a greater degree of intimacy to the music as well yeah fancy so good. All right, so let's talk about jazz music. What, what's the good stuff? You got to give me the good stuff, Alan. Oh, <laughs> from what, what time but period? But that's, I mean, that's the thing. What, where does it land with you? Good, I mean, um, where's, well, where's the good jazz? Uh, you mean uh, in terms of right now? I don't know. Wherever it lands for you. Uh, I mean, I'm, like, I'm thinking blank canvas. I mean, I have, there's mm-hmm. some jazz that I love today that, that is, I mean, because there are some amazing artists that are creating this very progressive mm-hmm. loop-based Holy cow, mm-hmm. jazz! They're using technology to create loops, yep. and and it's amazing. So we can get to that. Um, but for you, like, where is the sweet spot of the magic of the jazz? Your opinion? Oh well, I think anybody who's playing it well. I mean, there's just so many possibilities these days. Like you mentioned, loop-based jazz and people incorporating hip hop elements. You have pianist Robert Glasper doing that. On the other hand, you have young Canadian artists like. Uh, trumpeter and singer Bria Sconebrook, who's just a giant in terms of playing swing jazz and traditional jazz, along with bassist Jennifer Hodge, who's from Vancouver, and they both live in the New York area, and they they do really well playing swing and traditional jazz. So um, what's great about this the music is you can hear wonderful practitioners in all the styles. You know, people who like Robert Glasper, who or Christian Scott, the trumpet player, who are more on the modern side, and then people like Bria Sconebrook, who adhere to i would say a mashup of of rhythm and blues and trad jazz and swing as well and so there's just so many possibilities today because even though i teach jazz history the thing i like to stay state a lot is that it's not museum music 
you know, it's it's really interesting. All these styles that whether they come from right now or all the way back to the 1920s are still active today, and people are playing them. And there's lots of different types of players and composers keeping all that music vital. As you say that, though, I feel like jazz is an unfair umbrella. You know, it's so big. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like saying music. <laughs> Well, that's true. And, you know, uh, people who uh, preceded us, like Duke Ellington, that's what he wanted to call it. He says, why don't we just call it American music? That was the term he wanted to call it back in the 40s. And he was right in the way because he saw even then it was such a big umbrella because, you know, almost from the beginning, jazz, what we call jazz now, incorporated elements of Latin music, Caribbean music, remnants of African music, church music, pop music, everything, right? So, and that was true back in the 20s. And that's true now. Mm. So let's talk about these looping, this looping and technology things here. Alan Matheson teaches jazz. Um, you know, there's so much to jazz. There's the piano players that sort of leaned into it that way. And then there's the saxophone players. And then you have the Chet Bakers of the world that were all about the horns. I mean, I guess piano, but, um, you know, that, and that's, that's the all about the horn stuff. Today, when you see a jazz musician, and, and I don't want to paint everybody with one brush, but you're starting to see a real trend. It is a multifaceted, multi-instrument art. It has become a technology-based art, which is one of the most ironic. When you think about rock and roll, distortion pedals, all that stuff, makes sense. Dance music, keyboards, electronic, uh, makes sense. Jazz, in its own way, has really stepped into this sexy, sultry loop thing where you have artists that they'll create a loop on a loop on a loop, on a loop, and then they'll just continue to play. It's become a three-dimensional art form. Maybe it was always, now that I say that, maybe it was always a three-dimensional art form. It's just newly three-dimensional. Um, yeah, traditionalists yeah, must a- cringe a little bit, but at the same time go, wow, that's amazing. Yeah, I think you get all kinds of reactions. And uh, I noticed the video you have for your program showed some young musicians using loops. And loops have been with us probably in actual fact, since the 70s with the experiments of Miles Davis and Freddie Hubbard in the recording studio where they were actually using, you know, a real basic form of that with magnetic tape back in the 70s. And I remember seeing Freddie Hubbard do this live in the 70s, but now it's much easier to do and more common. And, you know, it's it's a tool. And it, like anything, it's what you do with that tool that makes it interesting. So someone can use that really well and someone maybe not so well. And, uh, I mentioned Robert Glasper. That's a person who uses that tool really, really well. And there's other musicians around who use it really re- well too. So it just adds another sonic dimension and another performance aspect that makes things interesting, I think, for the listener as well as the player. The song that Alan's talking about is when you join my video room, there's um, there's a video that plays music video. And the song is called Tadao. Um, Misego is the, is the artist, FKJ. Um, what do you call what, what do you think of that? I mean, uh, that kind of music, that's sexy to me. I love that. And um, very mm-hmm. jazz based. I don't know if it's jazz jazz. What would you is that a fit for you? Well, it would it would fit right into my playlist for the jazz history class. Would it really? Hey? You know, if, oh, for sure. Because I mean, they've got, you know, a steady but flexible beat going on that they lay down with the guitars and the drum machine stuff. And then they play over top with saxophones and guitar. And it's to my ears, at least they're they're improvising on top of a you know a given set of chords and a basic melody that they're creating variations on and so that that to me makes it jazz because they lay down something for us to latch onto that okay that's the basic song now they're going to take us someplace so take that song on a journey and then bring it back and and that's a, a real component of jazz as well but also between the two musicians and the track they're playing with or the 
you know, loop they're playing with, there's all this rhythmic interplay. And that, above all else, makes jazz jazz for me is that rhythmic interplay. Is that, is that, I've always guessed, thought of jazz as, you know, emotional expression. It always comes in different forms, but mm. the fundamental thread that always I've found inside jazz is there's an emotional expression that you don't hear in um, classical music. Classical music, you hear drama, but you don't hear emotional expression. I find those distinctly different. Um, it, 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 what is it, it is for you? Is, is that fair or is there something else that, well, that you find is yeah, the Yeah, I mean, oh, sorry to interrupt you. Um, I agree with you. It's it's just different in a way because, you know, because I also am classically trained with classical music. It's like you inhabit a character in order to play it. And so you you get inside the drama of that piece, be it the Tchaikovsky violin concerto or what have you. With jazz, and this is the big difference, we've got more room for in, your individual voice. So in a way, you can become more emotive, not just dramatic, but actual emotive. And in terms of classical music, there's a quest for a certain homogeneity, and I mean that in a positive way, but a certain likeness of sound you know, within the orchestra and we, even within soloists. Soloists have more latitude, but... In terms of jazz soloists, yeah, like you hear the trumpet played by Louis Armstrong or Chet Baker or Christian Scott, it's hard to believe it's the same instrument in some ways. And yet they're all three individuals and they make a very individual sound on the horn. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, I, I, if I think back to jazz and classical, even rock and roll, um, I don't know. I've seen DJs cry. Like I've seen DJs up on a stage massive cloud i mean because there's a real call and response to that electronic right there's a real call and response that goes on mm -hmm. rock and roll is a different call and response um but i've seen a dj cry i don't know if i've ever seen a, a a rocker cry i don't know if i've ever seen um an orchestra cry but i've most certainly seen a jazz player sitting on stage playing with tears rolling down their cheeks uh many mm -hmm. different times so that anecdotally lends support to what you're saying that there is this element of story yeah, that's very true. And, you know, and, and one of the greatest of all jazz players, tenor saxophonist Lester Young, you know, when he listened to someone play, if he thought they weren't being themselves, he'd say, hey, but what's your story? You know, you got to tell a story on your horn or whatever instrument you play. You got to, it isn't just taking a solo, you got to tell a story. And uh, for a lot of us, I would say Lester's words are words to live by. You think about that. It's like, what do I want to say with this? I've got this amount of bars to solo now, what do I want to say with that? Mm -hmm. And hopefully add to the piece. It isn't just look at how fast my fingers move or something like that. And I feel like the greatest jazz players, it doesn't matter if it's, uh, you know, like I said, Louis Armstrong or a more contemporary player like Ingrid Jensen from Canada, they always tell a story. There's always a, a narrative going on. Uh, that's fascinating. Um, it is interesting when you look at it that way. Do you have a favorite mm -hmm. person or, or piece? Or? Well, uh, there's, there's, there's too many favorites, but I guess if this was sort of a desert Island question, um, it probably have to be Duke Ellington in the end. Really? Eh? Why? And when I say, when I say Duke Ellington, I mean the band as well, because, uh, and why be, because really the Ellington band and Ellington's music along with Billy Strayhorn and wrote with him created an entire cosmos. I mean, they, it's just so deep that you can spend years just uncovering new facets every time you listen to mm. it. And, uh, you know, I hate to just bring it down to one, just one person, but we're kind of talking about an entity here because with the Ellington band, he kept so many of the same players for 
decades and decades it had a sound that was just truly truly unique huh. um instrument you play a lot of them is there a favorite mm. i mean with your classical background i suppose it's probably different than what you would do mm -hmm. if i asked you about jazz which uh where do you land no i i i'm gonna hide behind again i'm gonna paraphrase duke when he was asked but who's your favorite singer he said well the person i'm enjoying right now and say i play the piano and the trumpet i'd say the instrument i'm playing right now is my favorite <laughs> you know so right because it, it, it's it's nice to be able to play both because they express different things for me you know you can it, it just gives you a greater range and and there's a few of us who you know do play both like trumpeter brad turner from vancouver and the late great saxophonist ross taggart played sax and piano and and uh it just gives you a bit more um of a musical kaleidoscope to work with you know so whichever instrument i'm playing at the time that's my favorite right. do you um do you ever sit down and just kind of noodle away and then start into a genre of music without realizing it is there any is that a way that oh. it happens i have no idea <laughs> all the time yeah. yes that's that's a great question all the time especially when you're thinking about composing that sometimes it's the best way to start you don't really go in there with a plan you go in there with some trust and know that you're going to hopefully tap into those ideas and creativity that you have and, and see where it takes you, you know, rather than trying to preform it before it happens. So, oh yes, all the time. That's what got me started playing music, by the way. My grandmother's place in Calgary, she had a beautiful piano and I used to go over there when I was five and I wouldn't hit or bang it. I would go and listen for, what interesting sounds can I make on this right. thing? You know, and it's still true. There, so I kind of go to that five-year-old place. There must be a... Um... There must be a mystical element, faith element um, for musicians like you that have been around it for your whole life, guys who like to create stuff. And because there has to be a belief system that you're channeling something. I don't think that you can sit there and believe it's really you. Um, you have to be able to like be connected, get in the flow, channel things. So is there really that belief system somewhere buried? It may be different for everybody, but whether it's mystical or faith or whatever, that you're actually connecting to something else in order to be in that moment? Absolutely. No, I think that's a great word you used. You are channeling something. You kind of become the instrument for whatever you're fortunate enough to have come down. And, um, you know, I got into music as a kid too, because I wanted to compose music. And the thing that intrigued me about jazz, because I discovered it a few years later, was like, oh, these guys sound like they're composing while they play. And that was a really exciting mm -hmm. idea to me. So, you know, composition's the same way. You try and start at that same kind of open place where you're receptive and as you said opening that channel so that ideas come or inspiration comes and it could be two notes it could be 16 notes you never know these loop guys that start building loops and building loops on loops it's quite amazing to watch them do that um because they are thinking yeah. not only with this uh segment or measure of music they're literally you know, thinking of layer on layer on layer and how does this sound down the road when i drop this layer and all that stuff that's impressive it really is. It, it, it really is. And I don't know how many people realize that it, it actually relates directly to West African music, which is structured very similarly. Ry rhythmically, there's usually a, you know, a underlying big beat with various other beats layered on top of it. And that's been going on for, let's say, hundreds of years, if not more. And um, a lot of that survived, I feel, into jazz, even in the 20s. And so when people build loops, it's very similar. They're taking, you know, one expression of time and adding other expressions of time over top to make this satisfying and complete but complex whole. Yeah. 
uh, people might think of that uh, sort of in the round. Remember when you were in choir in like grade five and they used to make you sing and then you would sing this song and then the next group would go, you would sing the song and sing the song we go and all that kind of stuff. I mean, that was the, yeah. that's basically what's happening, except it's one person with multiple instruments and multiple layers um, that, that build this and they're able to do it on their own. It's fascinating. Absolutely. It's, it's completely fascinating and it's so great to see what people who, you know, have creative mind can do with it, you know, and how they use it you know, as a color or as a basis for the music. It's fantastic. In Vancouver, you can teach non-musicians. Uh, that's what you do across the country uh, from that look to help everyone else out. If, if you've always wondered if this is something that you'd be interested in learning in, picking up that instrument, that bucket list item that you've always wanted to do, or just picking it up again, what's a good way for everyone to get started, Alan, to, to go look and how do you find these things, these courses? Well, um, a lot of places are still running online courses. Like I do an online jazz history course for the Vancouver Symphony School of Music. And um, it, it, it does attract both musicians and non-musicians or people like yourself who played at one time and are getting back to it now. And I think in terms of if someone wants to get started on or get back to an instrument, the best way nowadays, especially since it's possible, is look up a, a good private teacher, you know, because that's that's the best way. I mean, you can learn things from YouTube, but it's it's really not the same. You know, it's having someone check in with mm -hmm. you. I mean, I, I had a couple of people start with me during the uh, lockdown and have done quite well, you know, because they, you know, the secret is they keep playing every day. Right. You know, even if even if it's 15 minutes a day, they're playing every day. Oh, it never so, hurts I would to say, have somebody yeah. say, way to go champ either, right? No, it's really essential. I was very lucky to have some great teachers, you know, when I was a, a student. I really was a couple of people who really mentored me and I hear their voices every day, so to speak. Yeah, you know? I love it. Oh, this is so good. Thanks for being here. Uh, it's Alan Matheson. He does teach, by the yeah. way, Vancouver Symphony School of Music, uh, jazz history and all those lectures and teaching, plus the music teaching Vancouver Community College and and all of that. Um, let's celebrate Jazz Month and, and play some jazz things. Maybe reintroduce people to this beautiful art form. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Shane.